Thank you, Joy. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Why don't we just uh, hold hands, just pray for our team that's over in Uganda right now. We have them. They'll be ministering in Uganda today. And uh, this week we'll be going to Uganda uh, on Monday. We've got a 30-hour flight or something, and the team, the rest of the team will be there on Tuesday night. Then on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're into pastor's conference and we're into a time of reaching out to the nation. So let's pray together in tongues. Let's believe God that we will see miracles, healings, salvations, deliverances. Father, we thank you for the power that's in Jesus' name. We thank you for the life that you've given us and the call that you've given us. Father, we hold before you our team in Uganda and we pray for your power to be manifest in their lives. We pray for souls to be saved, for the church to be built. We pray for many lives to be touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, let your favor come upon us. Let your favor be upon all that is done. And we pray a vital impact into that nation and beyond that nation into other nations in Africa. Father, release your miracle power from heaven. Release souls. Release healings. Release deliverance to the captives. Release financial resources. In Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to partner with you in reaching another nation for Jesus Christ. Come on, church. Let's give the Lord a great clap. Hallelujah. Wonderful Jesus. You're an awesome God. You're a powerful God. A mighty God. It's great to serve you. Hallelujah. Great to serve the living God. Praise God. Please be seated. We're in for an awesome time. Awesome time. Amen. Awesome time. Well, every day is great in God. You know, it's a great thing that we can serve the Lord. I want to share something with you. I've had the Lord putting in my heart. And uh, I've just been sharing this with pastors the other day. And I know that it will be a help for you. And uh, because uh, one way or the other, you can't get around what I'm going to talk about today. You're either going to be clothed with it, it's going to ruin your life, or you're going to be clothed with something different. And the difference will be that you make a decision to be different. And I want to share with you something I want to share with you today about breaking free of shame. One of the things we we'll see in the Bible is that every area of your life where you carry shame, you have no power. I'll say it again. Every area of your life where you carry shame, you have no power. And I want to show you the connection between having shame over our life and being a loss of power in our life or the ability to change anything. If you're ashamed about money, you'll never have power over money. You're ashamed of who you are. You'll never have power to influence people. And church, it's time that we broke out of this thing that rests over our nation. There's almost like a shame that's over who we are as a nation of people. A shame that rests over the church of Jesus Christ. Time for the church to stand up and become very bold and become very fearless and be uh, unashamed to present the gospel. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? Some of you got shame hanging around you. I can feel it. I hate it. It's a terrible thing. I'll show you how to get free of it. I'll show you when it's off your life, how you behave. You behave quite differently because now you know who you are. You're someone God has uniquely created for a purpose. Let me read a couple of verses for you. In Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God under salvation. Friend, Whatever you're not ashamed of, you'll have some power and confidence in that area. If you're ashamed of Jesus Christ, you'll never influence anyone for Him. If you're ashamed of being a Christian, you won't influence anyone. Instead, you'll do something quite different. 
and you will increase the shame around your life and the defeat around your life. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, be not ashamed. See, there is a connection between power, the ability of God flowing in your life, and not having shame around your life. I'm going to define what shame is in a moment so you can understand it. Perhaps as I share how it gets into people's lives, you may wriggle uncomfortably and say, man, I'm carrying a bit of that around with me. You don't need to carry it around. You need to put it off. Put off those garments of shame. Put on something different. Listen to this in Philippians 1 verse 20. He says, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness Christ might be magnified. Paul made it very clear. He said, I'm not going to be ashamed about anything. I'm not going to be ashamed about anything, but rather with great boldness will I speak, and Christ will be magnified, or he will be lifted up through my life. Friend, that's a powerful, powerful verse. When there is no shame in your life, when you're unashamed of who you are and what you have, when you know who God has called you to be, when we corporately understand who we're called to be, then, friend, one of the things that is a fruit of that is boldness. The ability to speak strongly, confidently, without any sense of holding back, absolutely unashamed. Friend, when I look around in New Zealand, I see shame sits over our nation, sits over the Maori people, sits over the people of New Zealand. It sits over us and causes us to be held down so we're never what we should be or could be in Christ. But what a great thing you and I can have when we come to Jesus Christ. We can be totally free of shame. We can actually stand up with boldness, confidence, and make a difference. Because why? Because there's something we know about ourselves. And friend, no one's going to do this for you. You can wear that garment of shame and live and walk around defeated and beaten down, apologetic about who you are, apologetic about your faith in Christ, apologetic about your gifts, or apologetic about the church, or you can walk around boldly and have an influence and an impact. Friend, listen to me. The Bible says this, a man's gift makes room for him. It doesn't say a man's education makes room for him. It doesn't say a man's mental ability makes room for him. It doesn't say a man's appearances make room for him. It says the gift that God placed in you, what God has put in your life, that's what will make room for you in life. Friend, you and I need to know what God has put into us, made available to us, and start to stand up in it and stop walking around ashamed of our past and ashamed of who we are. Can you say yes to that? Amen. Our nation tends to have a a syndrome called the tall poppy syndrome. Basically, it's knocking down and pulling down others, and it's rooted in shame. We'll see that in a moment. Let's have a look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. I want to just talk about the entrance of shame. If you're ashamed about your finances and ashamed in the area of finance, you will have no power to be able to gather finances and accumulate wealth. You'll lack the boldness, the confidence, the risk-taking ability needed to make it happen. If you have shame over your family, you'll never be able to build a strong family life. If you have shame about your moral background, you'll never build a strong, vital life in Christ. We have to be rid of shame. We have to totally be rid of it. I want you to have a look at how shame ended. First of all, in Genesis 2.25, Adam and Eve, the man and his wife, were both naked. They had no clothes on, yet they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. That's how God made us, not ashamed. No feeling of lack, 
no feeling something's wrong, no consciousness there's something wrong about me. In fact, they were confident, they were bold, they were transparent, they had relationships, and they had an intimacy with God and with one another. They were absolutely open and transparent. Why? Because they were without shame. There was absolutely no awareness in any aspect of their life that there was some lack. Of course, the world's way of trying to cause us to deal with shame is to pretend it's not there. But actually, that won't make it go away at all. You've got to deal with it. So they were covered, of course, with the life of God. Out of a relationship with God, they carried boldness. Can you imagine what it would be like if you knew there was absolutely nothing wrong in any area of your life? Oh, how confident. If you knew that God Almighty was on your side, had a destiny for you, a plan for you, and that whatever you put your hand to, He was with you in it, what boldness it would give you. The trouble is we don't live conscious of that. We live conscious of something else. And some of you are living conscious of something else, and it defeats you consistently, lest we break through to who we are in Christ. I want you to see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 how shame entered in. I want to describe some of the ways it enters your life. And maybe you will identify with one of these things. In Genesis 3 verse 7, of course, it says, uh, the, it tells us that Adam and Eve uh, 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 disobeyed God. They ate the fruit they were not supposed to eat. And the devil said, well, you'll be wise the moment you eat that fruit. Well, they were wise, all right. They saw something they never saw before. They saw they were naked. They saw they were ashamed. In fact, actually, as we'll see in a moment, the devil pointed it out. It says, the eyes of them both were naked. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made things to gird around their loin. And then when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves. See, write down or underline there, fig leaves, fig leaves, fig leaves. You have fig leaves on today. They, the second word to underline is hid. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord in the middle of the garment. And the Lord God said, Adam, where are you? He said, oh, oh. He said, well, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now listen to God's question. Who told you you were in that condition? Who pointed out to you and exposed your condition? Who spoke against you and made fun of you and belittled you and informed you of your condition? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree? The one who exposed their condition is the very one who led them into sin. He's called the devil. The devil from the beginning was an angel clothed with light, but when he sinned against God, his covering was totally stripped off him and removed off him. He was literally left as an angel without glory, without covering, without life. He was left in a humiliated sh a condition of shame. And that condition of shame and the pain of it, he is determined to put on every living person in the earth. He wants you also to be ashamed, to live in shame, because a person who lives in shame will do two things. They will cover up who they really are, and secondly, they will hide themselves from intimate relationship with God and with people who are near to them. If you are gathering, gathering, holding shame around your life, you will, you will find some way to conceal who you are. And if you conceal who you are, you can never flow from your spirit with boldness and confidence because you're concealing yourself because you don't like what you see and fear what may happen if people really see who you are. So church is full of people who live in shame, covering up who we are, covering our failures, covering the things we're ashamed of, covering this, covering that, all trying to look good. 
When you try to look good, you have to keep on trying and trying and trying and trying to look good. But friend, what if inside you knew I am good? God has given me something that's changed me. Friends, you don't have to keep up the pretense anymore. You can be yourself. And when you're yourself, then you are the person God called you to be. And you can enjoy being who you are instead of trying to copy someone else. Friend, one of the things, you go to the shop. Listen, you go to the shop, you can buy two different kinds of clothes. You go to some shops, and they have what they call mass-produced clothes. They're all the same. Isn't that right? Or you can go to what they call a designer shop. Is that right? Designer shop, you don't get mass-produced. You get one of a kind, one of a kind, one of a kind, one of a kind. You go into a designer shop, and you see two the same. You think, I'm not going back to this shop. There's something wrong here. I don't want to buy this and pay big bucks and then have someone else wear the same outfit. You go to a designer shop because you want something that's unique and distinct. In fact, the marketers have so uh, recognized this now that they've changed marketing now. And even in the mass produced, they try and make little variations that make it unique because they realize no one wants to be wearing something mass produced. We want to be unique. There's something in the heart of everyone. I want to be who I'm called to be, not who someone wants to make me. I need to be the man or woman that God called me to be. So the thing about designer clothes, they're very expensive. Now get this, you are designer made. There ain't no one like you in the world. So why try to copy someone else? Why not be who you are? Because anyone else like you, anyone else that's got your call, anyone else that's got your gift and passion mix, there is no one quite like you. When God made you, this is what he did. He took one look at you and he said this. I'll never do that again. <laughs> Maybe he said it differently. Oh, I'll never make another one of those. That's beautiful. I, wouldn't, I'm going to make something slightly different, you know. <laughs> Amen. There's no one else like you. No one else quite like you. Is that right? So you notice here that uh, the Bible tells us Adam and Eve made themselves the first moment they recognized there were uh, something wrong with them, they covered themselves up. Now, they, the Bible says they covered up their loins. They covered up that part of their life which was different. In other words, they were conscious of lack in themselves and of being different to someone else. Shame always causes you to feel, I am different. But it puts with it a feeling of pain there's something wrong with me being different. I need to be the same to fit in. Pain is a, a shame is a terrible, painful emotion. Causes us to feel uh, hurt and grief and pain as though something in us is wrong. The word shame means literally to be disfigured. To be disfigured. In the, in the Bible, there's a number of words that are used for it, but always it has a painful feeling that there is something disfigured, something wrong with me. Now, we need to understand the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt, I have done something wrong. I made a mistake. It's about my behaviors. I did something wrong. I made a mistake. I blew it. I failed. So the answer is you fix it up. Put it right. Restore it. Replace it. Whatever. But shame is something different. Shame is there's something wrong with me. It's not I made a mistake. I am a mistake. It has to do with our identity, who we are. So if you're wearing guilt, guilt and shame go together like bed partners, really. Guilt, there's something I've done that's wrong. I've made mistakes. My behavior is not acceptable. But shame, 
I'm the mistake. There's something wrong I can never fix. I am not acceptable like I am. And who can live with that, that there's something wrong with me? And Jesus came to do something about that. He came to address that. The devil knows that people feel that, and he knows the pain that it brings and the terrible things of shame. Usually, shame comes because someone pointed it out. Someone actually uh, pointed out or mocked us or belittled us or pointed out who told us there was something wrong. And it's always the devil. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10. What is he called? The accuser. Why? Because he points out the fault. So right there in Genesis, he told them. And that word tell means literally, he belittled them, mocked them, and pointed out their broken condition. You are never acceptable. And so their hearts were filled with fear, and instead of running to God, they covered themselves up and ran away from God. And that's what people have been doing ever since. It's also what the devil's been doing ever since. He points out, this is what's wrong with you, scorns and belittles and mocks you, as though there's nothing you can do to change it and leaves you humiliated and powerless in the middle of it. And those who do such things are friends of the devil. You either build people or you bag them and point out everything that's wrong. New Zealand has a culture. It finds everything wrong with everything. It's an evil culture, that aspect of it, in that it points out with no hope of restoration, no hope of anything being any different, what is wrong in a person and belittles them because of it. Now, it's in the culture. It's in the schools. It's right through our whole nation. You've got to decide whether you'll be part of that and buy into that and live under that. Because, friend, if you live under shame, you'll also become part of the culture of shame and blame and point out and reject others. But if you actually let God build you on the inside so you begin to discover who you are and become shame-free, what will happen is you'll be part of a group of people who build people. You'll be a builder of people or you'll be a bagger of them. In the church, unfortunately, people have got caught up in the culture of the world, brought it into the church, and they find fault. When you find fault, when you start to point out the faults with no hope of reconciliation, no hope of change, just delighting in the fault of someone else, then you have taken up a partnership with the devil in abusing and shaming the work of God. I'll show you how to confront that a little later. I'll show you how to deal with that one a little later. If I forget, then remind me. Okay then, so how is it that shame gets established in our life? Let me just quickly look at that. Then I want to show you how God's made provision for us. And we're going to look at how you respond, how you deal with this thing, how you break out of this whole era. Let me give you some areas that I have observed through ministry over the course of my life uh, over, and, uh, over the years have brought shame around people. I've noticed when I go into Asia, for example, everywhere I pray over people, I find shame is a major issue. The people inside believe there's something wrong with me. Now, this is what I found. The reason I become very aware of it, because I ask myself this question, why is it that I've been able to get so few Asians to stay moving in the power of the Holy Spirit? And I came to the conclusion. It was one thing. It was shame and the fear that went with it. Because they were so afraid of losing face, that's another word for shame, of looking bad in front of people, that they were reluctant to hold on to the risk of moving in the things of the Spirit. So you can teach someone how to move in the Spirit, it only takes you 
uh, just uh, a short time to do that. You can coach them and help them to be able to flow in the gifts of the Spirit, but to hold it, they've got to build their inward man. God wants you to build on the inside so you can stand up and be unashamed of who you are. When people are unashamed, they speak boldly. You speak boldly in New Zealand, they say, who do you think you are? You need to be able to answer it too. Amen. Come on. So boldly. Let me just give you some examples. Number one, some people I found ashamed of gender. I found women uh, born as a woman and their father or mother or parents wanted a boy. Often there's a tremendous shame they carry all their life just because I'm a woman and what was really wanted was a man. When women feel shamed about their identity, which they cannot change, they then strive and struggle to become a man. They even dress, look like one. They compete with them. They try and they become hard like a man, but they're not. They're a woman. Many I've had to help them to come and the terrible grief and the pain as they've confessed, thank you God for making me a woman. I embrace who you have made me to be. I do not reject my identity. See, another area is the area of race, the skin color. Some people are ashamed of their skin color. I went to South Africa and uh, I went to Cape Town to minister. John and I were there and I asked the Lord what I should minister on. And of course, we're there among colored people. Colored people are neither black nor white. Went up in the north, they were all black. Went down the south, they were colored. A mixture of black and a mixture of white. And the Lord said, I want you to speak into the issue of the shame that is over their life about their color. And I said, dear God, it's my first time to South Africa. I'll be killed. Can't get me to, do, to talk about apartheid and what it's done to people. I said, oh, please, Lord, must be another nicer message than that. Is there a better one than that? Is there another? Please, is there another alternative? Look through all the messages. No, there's none. Oh, God. What will I do? And the Lord drew my attention to Jephthah in the Old Testament. Jephthah's father had sexual relationships, adultery with a prostitute. And he was half Ammonite, half Jew. He was not wanted by the Ammonites, not wanted by the Jews. Everyone hated him because of what? Something he could not change. He lived with shame, unable to change something about his life and no place in society for him. But let me tell you this, that same young man that was shamed by everyone because of who he was, where he came from, his birth out of wedlock, the prostitution and adultery, the uh, half this, half that, all of those things that were put on him as a label of shame by everyone, including authorities, the Bible says God raised him up and made him the leader, the deliverer for the nation. In other words, even though he could do nothing about where he came from and how he came in, God had a purpose, a plan that included who he was. His life became a message to the nation which had committed adultery with the Ammonites, had betrayed God, and now the man they sought to save them was someone they had rejected. Similarly, the God they had rejected was the one they needed to save them. His whole life was a message of the grace of God and the power of God to raise up someone that no one wants. Friend, wherever you've come from, whatever your background, is irrelevant. There may be pain associated with it. You may have shame clinging to you, but God knew where you were coming because, friend, when you came into this world, God had the plan in place before you arrived. Listen, when we got this building, someone had the whole plan from start to finish in mind before ever the building was talked about. We saw the end from the beginning. God sees your end from your beginning. He has a complete plan for your life. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what experiences you had. Friend, God wants to work through you. That's absolutely certain. I'll tell you in other areas. Uh, uh, let me just give a list of a few of them, then we get on to some of the solutions. 
Uh, sometimes people are shamed because of physical defect. Any of you have been in through high school know if your ears are too big, they always make fun of them. If you're too tall, you're made fun of. If you're too short, you're made fun of. Your eyes are a bit crossed, you're made fun of. Doesn't matter what is not normal, something you can do nothing about, your physical features, your physical body, it's made fun of and belittled, and you feel shame. I can't change this thing about me. The things we can't change, you have to learn how to handle and receive God's affirmation for. Another is the area of, uh, uh, of slow development. You know, anyone who's been a teenager, teenage girl, and you're about 17 and nothing's happened yet, oh my, the feelings of pain. The shame. Something wrong with me. Well, same happens for early developers. Same happens for people who struggle in church, uh, in, in school with uh, dyslexia or some kind of learning disability. There's something wrong. What's wrong with you is the message you hear. There's something wrong with you, boy. And it's a, a message of shame about something you can do nothing. And, of course, it clings to people, and then they try to cover it and hide it and conceal it. I, I, was, I was in a church for some years in Dannyburg, before I discovered that the guy who was one of my elders could not read at all. I couldn't believe it. I thought, how did, he, how did I not see that? He couldn't read a bit, couldn't read anything except the Bible. God helped him read the Bible. He could just, it's the only book he could read up in the Bible, he could read the Bible. So I never realized he couldn't read anything else. His wife had to open up all the mail, do all the bills, do everything. And he cunningly kept conceal what he was ashamed of. When you are ashamed of something, you become disempowered and you live under fear. When you break through the shame and remove the shame off your life, you can become bold. Say, become bold. I said, don't hide the fact that you can't read. Stand up and say, all my life I haven't been able to read, but God gave me the ability to read his book. You've got a powerful testimony of a miracle living in your life. Don't hide the thing. People hide because of shame. Say, Learning disabilities, belittling by parents, belittling by peers. All of these things bring shame around our life. Physical abuse brings shame, the shame of being weak. Sexual abuse brings shame, the shame of being powerless and unable to do anything to stop ourselves being hurt. And so if I'm women that have been abused, carry a shame. If only I wasn't a woman, this wouldn't have happened to me. If I was a man, they would never have been able to do this. And so there's this terrible shame and a deep grief over who the person is. All of these are things that, uh, that cause issues. Financial lack and poverty. People can live so much in that when they're growing up that they carry a shame about financial lack and cover it and then strive like crazy to become rich all their life, never feeling like they've got enough because the message inside is always the same. There's something wrong with me. And no amount of possessions can change that message. Something wrong with me. No amount of cosmetic surgery can change the message, something wrong with me. Have a look at some of the movie stars. You look at them and think, well, that looks beautiful. And you know what they struggle with? Something is wrong with me. And I've got to have all the surgery to fix it. When the surgery's over and they look different, something is wrong with me. What's that? That's a message of shame. Where's it coming from? Coming from the devil. Why? Because if he can get you to hold that shame around your life, he knows you'll have no power, no confidence. You'll be disempowered in life. You won't be able to be a great and a strong witness. Broken families can bring tremendous shame. Uh, also, the, the, uh, the, the weird behavior of a parent can bring shame on the children. 
They come and they say, I can remember one, I remember being embarrassed myself for this boy. And we're at a football match and the father carried on like such an idiot on the sideline that the ref actually stopped the game, came over and told him if he didn't shut up, then they would have him carried off the whole field. But what I felt was the terrible shame for the poor boy whose dad that was. And I felt, God, how humiliated that boy must be about his father. And I've known others I prayed for and their mother had a mental breakdown and the shame about the mother and what happened in the family. Shame clothes us, the Bible says, clothed with shame. It causes the face to be turned away. You lose all boldness when shame is around your life. Some people will never take you into their home because there's such a shame about their home and their background, where they come from. Shame is a powerful tool of the devil to keep us out of our destiny, identity, and the purposes that God has for us. We've got to break out of it. We've got to break out of all of that kind of stuff. Notice here how it affected them. In Genesis uh, 3 verse 7 says, The eyes of them opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They had several things happen. They were afraid that they'd be rejected. And so they covered and concealed themselves and hid themselves. And this is what happens. When you have shame over your life, you will hide. You will conceal the thing. Whatever it is, you'll try to compensate for it, do something to overcome it. But what change is needed is one on the inside. We need a message of God burning in our heart to change us. People hide and cover. People reject themselves. They hid from one another. They hid from themselves. And second, the, third, the last thing they did was they began to blame one another. Now, one of the interesting fruits of shame is this, is Adam began to find fault with his wife. He would not take responsibility, and he began to shift what he felt bad about himself somewhere else. Now, this is what we find in our nation. The nation, which carries a deep sense of shame for a variety of reasons, tends to bag others, put down others, and find fault with others. We find fault with leadership, find fault with government, find fault with the boss, find fault. A sportsman does well. You know, if you go to some cultures, it is so different. Someone does well or says, man, I've got this great idea. Everyone says, that's fantastic. We're right in behind you. Go for it. New Zealand, who do you think you are? Well, who do you think you are? That is a message of shame that destroys boldness and confidence. It destroys boldness and confidence and outspokenness. And it's in our culture and it's in you unless you've done something to deal with it. And then when you come into the church, then we do the same about the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the one enterprise that will last forever. It is entrusted with the gospel that can save men's souls. It is the most powerful, most wonderful organization and body of people in this world. Everything you see that looks good will pass away. The church of Jesus Christ never will. We need to get up being embarrassed about the church and start to stand up and say, this is who we are. We're Bay City. We belong to Jesus Christ. We've got a message can change your life. Then you've got to start to get bold about these things. You've got to get it into your spirit. Otherwise, we're forever finding there's something wrong. Something wrong. Something wrong. You know, well, people who find something wrong, they're the friends of the devil. It doesn't take anything to find something wrong. It takes faith to see what could be. It takes faith to see what could be. You see someone, it doesn't take anyone any smarts to see what's wrong with them, but it takes faith to see what they could be. 
It takes faith and vision to see who that person could be. It takes faith to look past the problems, the wax, and the weaknesses and see that person could be a great leader. They could make an impact in the school. They could be a great musician. They could be great. I have a look at some of the people that have gone out from here. One of the things that happens in our cultures is a, as a pushing down. And if you can fight against it, you really develop some capacity because you live in the culture. But I, uh, you look at Jason, who's gone over to, uh, to Australia and to, uh, into the, the, the Sydney, into the hills. And he's immediately within the space of two years, whoosh, straight up to the top. Have a look at Brandon. I remember seeing Brandon up there playing a drum, tooting a drum. Looked like just one of our young people. Now he's one of the top bands in the world, influencing young people, thousands of young people. You see, what, what is it though? What is it? It's just, you've got to get rid of the shame and stand up on the inside, be unashamed of who you are, who we are, and what God called us to be. Break out of all that Kiwi stuff. Amen? You notice what happens here in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, Under Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and close them. Now, God has got an answer to this issue of shame. If you've got that painful feeling there's something wrong with me, no matter how good you are, what you've done, it's still always there. You need something. Now, the Bible tells us Adam and Eve put something on themselves. This is what God said, you've got to take it off. Whatever you put on your life to make yourself feel better, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to put it off and replace it with God's provision. Now, God's provision was this. A lamb was slain or an animal was slain, lost its life, shed its blood. God took the skin and clothed them. They become clothed with something God made available to them. In other words, the answer to their shame was not covering up with fig leaves, hiding in the bushes, trying desperately to compensate, the answer lay in actually identifying what God has provided and receiving it to ourself. The answer in the Bible is called righteousness, being right with God, knowing a boldness that comes out of being right with God. Righteousness is something God puts on you, and when it closes you, the Bible says the righteous, those who know their right before God, are bold as a lion. There's a boldness comes with being right before God. A boldness comes with being right before God. Listen, let me read a couple of verses about what Jesus did for us. Jesus, when he went to the cross, not only died on the cross for our sins and our sorrows, he took our shame. Look, read some of these verses here. Psalm 69, verse 19 to 20. Notice this is, a, uh, this is Jesus on the cross, and it tells us, this is what he said, you have known my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. Jesus died on the cross, the death of a criminal. His clothes were torn off him three times, twice by the soldiers when they were abusing him, and then afterwards, finally at the cross, they stripped him naked, hung him on a cross, nailed him there, absolutely for everyone to see, like a criminal, a common criminal, out in a public place. He carried shame. The Bible tells us he didn't hide his face from the shame. He took it on himself so he could totally set you free of it. You don't have to hang on to shame. It's something that Christ can lift off your life and replace with something else called righteousness. In Matthew 27, verse 39 to 41, when he was on the cross, they went by and they taunted him and abused him and put him to shame. They made fun of him. Wouldn't be many people here who can't remember back to school someone making fun of you, probably a teacher, and the shame you probably still feel till today. 
or the peer group making fun of you and you don't fit in. And the shame feelings stick for years, but Christ got an answer for this. Christ has got an answer for this. He carried our shame. But here's the thing. There are a couple of things. Number one, you actually have to cast off the shame. You have to put the shame off yourself. In Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells us of a man called blind Bartimaeus who lived in a world of darkness, ashamed of his condition, unable to help himself. And the Bible says when he heard about Jesus, he began to cry to Jesus. And when Jesus called him, he threw off the garment of a beggar. He left it behind. You've got to throw it off. How do you throw it off? By confession. How do you throw it off? By forgiving those who hurt you. How do you throw it off? By standing up inside and saying, God, you've got a provision for me. I'm not going to try and compensate anymore. I will take your provision. The blood of Jesus Christ makes me free, makes me clean. The Bible says an interesting thing. He said, what do you want? He said, I want to see. Now, friend, the greatest sight you have and the greatest sight you need is more than physical sight. It's to have a vision of who you are and what God called you to be. The poorest man in the world is a man who has no vision of what God called him to be and to do. You know who some of the poorest people in New Zealand are? The 50-plus age group. You say, oh, well, you know, they've got money and savings, and they've got this and they've got that. No, 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 no. This is why they're poor. Because my observation among the baby boomers, which are in their late 40s, 50s, through to 60, about my age, and about about a decade under, the majority carry no vision of what they should be doing with their life in this stage of their life and season in their life. Their clock is running out, and they're living their lives for themselves. That has got to be the poorest people in New Zealand. It's not about having finances and resources. It's about whether you have God's vision burning in your spirit, burning in your heart for what you're called to do and be in this decade and season of your life. Friend, this man cried, give me my vision. And he saw when Jesus gave him his vision. And the Bible says he followed Jesus Christ. Friend, to get free of shame, you need to forgive those who've hurt you. need to repent of the ways of covering your issues and come to him and claim that he can set you free. And he can break that shame off your life. But there's another last thing you need to do. You've got to change the way you think about life. I want to finish with just one last verse here. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 2. Shame has to be resisted because it's a robber. And shame will continue to come. As long as you're living on this earth, there'll be people who try and shame you, put you down. And see, it's not the fact they try and put you down. It's whether you resonate to shame, whether you resonate inside, or whether something in you says, no, I won't wear it. I won't wear that. I'm standing up. Listen, let me read a couple of verses here, and we'll finish with these. It says in verse uh, 19, Nehemiah is about to build the house of God, the, about to restore the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah means the comfort of God, the Holy Spirit. Now get this. It says, the enemy, Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it. Now this is what they did. This is what the enemy does to all who would stand for Christ and build the church of the living God. It says, they laughed us to scorn. What that means is they mimicked the language of the Jews, mimicked the praying in tongues, mimicked and made fun of them for who they were. And they despised, they treated them with contempt, 
and they just laughed and then accused him and said, you're up to no good. We're going to tell the king on you anyway. That is the strategy of the enemy. It is one to put down, to find fault, to point out lack. Now I want you to see Nehemiah's response because this is the response you need to begin to build into your life concerning shame. Repentance and forgiveness and, and, and confession can unlock the past, but you've got to change how you live today. You've got to change the message. This is how Nehemiah taught us to respond. Number one, the God in heaven, the great God in heaven. We serve a great God. You need to know how great God is on your behalf. You are not some broken, weak, poor, pathetic individual. You have God inside you. You have God on your side, almighty God. And with you and God, why should you be a fearful of man? Second thing, you notice identity. He first of all acknowledged the source. God is our source, not our money, not our bank book, not the house we live in, not the neighborhood we live in, not our clothes, not our job, none of those other things. God is our source. Second thing is, he strongly stated his identity. We are the servants of the living God. Now, Marine, the church needs to get like this. You're the servant of the living God. Other people serve sin and shameful things. You serve the living God. You're a servant of God. Who are you? You're the child of a king. Who are you? You're born again. Who are you? You're a citizen of heaven. Who are you? Who are you? You're a prince. You're a princess. Who are you? You're a person of destiny. Who are you? You see, the devil's got to put something on you. He'll be telling you who you are. No good. Making fun of you. Belittling you. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I am who God says. I am not who you say. I am who God says. You've got to say it. What God says about you, you've got to be saying it too. We're the servants of the living God. Here's the third thing he said. The third thing he began to declare was his purpose in life. We will arise and build. We're going to carry on this great work for God. We're going to keep reaching souls. We're going to keep praying for the sick. We're going to keep getting people delivered of demons. We're going to keep doing these things. Why? Because this is our purpose in life. We're called to do this. We will arise and build. Now, friend, when we came into the city, friend, when I came to this church, there was about a dozen people here. There was full of debts. It was about to go under in bankruptcy. You couldn't cash a check anywhere in the city. There was a financial reproach over the whole of the church. People came to me and said, yeah, this will never last, six months. When we started to have a move of God, they came and criticized us over that. When the Spirit of God came in 93, we were criticized over that. But we're still going on because we, His servants, will arise and we will build. We will make something happen in this great region God has put us into. Finally, this is the last thing, they resisted the enemy. They said to the devil, you, you get from us. You have no inheritance in us. In other words, there's nothing coming down from our family line that gives you a doorway into our life. Number two, you have no legal right. There's no sin. We're allowing you doorway into our life. And thirdly, he said, you have no memorial. We're not going to remember things we were ashamed of. We're going to say, yes, it was there. Yes, we were ashamed of it. But Jesus has taken our shame. We won't let you condemn us because of our background and our past. We are the people of God. See, 
If you're a Pākehā, you got a problem. If you're Māori, you got a problem. If you're Cook Island, you got a problem. Because the problem is in the identity. We are citizens of heaven. We're born again, servants of the living God. We, his servants, will arise. We will build in this place. When we got this building, they said you'll never do it. Well, the work of God is, first of all, impossible, then very hard, then it's done. Friend, that's the mentality you have to have, that I will not carry shame about who I am. I will not take sides with the devil and bag the work of God and bag the servants of God and bag what God's doing. I will be a builder, not a bagger. I will stand on God's side, not on the devil's side. Friend, if you find someone and they're bagging leadership, bagging this, bagging that, friend, I can see that you and the devil are very good friends and are on good speaking conditions because they are echoing the devil's cry no good, wrong something wrong, something wrong but when you hear the Holy Spirit's cry he says something like this there's an almighty God in heaven and we are his servants and we will arise and build and devil you got no place in our life, no place in who we are and where we are, come on do we hear a shout for the Lord today Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's give the Lord a shout. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's give Jesus a shout.